When the Son of Man comes, will he find any any faith on earth? It's kind of one of those sobering kind of things that Jesus says to us. And of course, if you believe what the popular press has to say about our day day and age, you look at some of the statistics, the, the sort of story would be that we are in this place where maybe the Son of Man won't find any faith left, at least in the Western world. That if he were to come again tomorrow, we'd see this pattern of decline where there's less and less people coming to church on Sunday in a country like Australia and in many other parts of the world. I've, um, this might sound a little crazy and um, I've been called crazy before so it's okay if that's what you're thinking. Um, I'm kind of crazy, a little bit mad enough to think that that story, which is there's some truth to it, right? There are less people coming to church than used to be in a place like Australia. I'm crazy enough to think that we here at St Declan's might have a different story that there might be a, another way for us. So let me just sort of talk about that for a little bit and you can decide at the end of that just how crazy I really am. Does that sound okay? All right. So here's the, the thing that I want to draw your attention to. The Pope says in this quote that we're not just living in an era of change. That's obvious, right? We're living in a time of massive change. You might have heard me say this before because I think it's a great quote. What he's actually saying is we're actually living in a change of era. The last change on this kind of magnitude happened in the Western world 500 years ago. It was the end of what we call the medieval period and the beginning of the modern period. So sometimes people call the moment that we're living in postmodern because we haven't come up with a name for it yet, or late modern because there'll be some people who think we aren't quite out of the modern period. But we're on the cusp of something new and nobody knows exactly what it looks like, even though lots of people are saying that Christian faith in the West will be less as a result. It's way more complicated than just a story of decline. And we could go into that in more detail in another time. But where that leaves us is if I'm saying that it's possible for us to go in a different direction, the question that that poses for me at any rate is this one. What's the point of a parish? I'm not sure if you've ever asked yourself that. Okay? You might have asked yourself, what's the point of me coming to Mass? It's not quite the same thing as what's the point of a parish. But I think that's a really important question. Why do we come here? What's it for? What difference does it make? There's more than one answer to that question. But the way I want to frame that today, the way I want to pose that, is by saying that there's another way of asking that question, which is to say this. What's our parish's mission? What I want to stress here is that any organisational theorist, doesn't have to be about a faith-based organisation, it's about any organisation, it'll say if the organisation only exists for itself, it's destined to implode, destined to fall apart. That's especially true of a church, of a parish. If our focus is upon ourselves, then we will fall apart, we'll implode. But if our focus goes outwards, if our focus is not upon ourselves, but upon those who do not yet know the love of God, then something different starts to happen. Okay? Something different takes place. So if we're going to answer this question, I think the thing that I want to stress is that the answer to it is not something that we dream up. It's not up to us to decide what our parish's mission is because Jesus has told us what the mission of our parish is, what the mission of the church is. And of course, the parish is just a part of that. So I want to, I want to tell you what I think Jesus says our mission is in three parts. The first one comes, it's up on the screen. It's the last words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. You know, the last words that somebody says are important words before they go. And so Jesus here wanted this to be the last thing that we would always remember. 
It's called the Great Commission. And it says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm always with you to the end of the age. So the first part, one way to answer our mission is to say, well, Jesus has said to us that it's to make disciples, followers of Jesus. Now, when we hear that, that could sound, you know, it might conjure up images for you of, you know, people going along and beating you over the head with a Bible. Couldn't be anything further from the truth. It's about sharing the love of God with those who do not yet know that love. That's gentle and it's respectful and it's kind and compassionate, but it's offering that word, saying, look, here's what we've encountered, the love that God has for us, and we'd like you to discover that too. And as people do that, they make the decision to follow Jesus, to become disciples. What I want to stress about this is that this is not the same as a recruitment agency. Okay, we're not a recruitment agency. We're not here to kind of add more people in the seats for the sake of that. That's not the point. The point is that people would come if they come because they've encountered the love of God in and through us and they've decided that they really want to worship God alongside of us. So we're not a recruitment agency, but we are called to make disciples. The second part of the mission that Jesus tells us is, that, is what he calls his great commandment. We had the Great Commission, this is the Great Commandment. You remember that passage where Jesus, says, where Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, well, you're to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart and strength and your neighbour as yourself. That reminds us that when we are talking about making disciples, it's got to be all about love. It's about the love that we have received from God. It's about the love that we offer God in return. And it's about the love that we have for one another. That's what we're called to do, and that's what makes us different from any other kind of organisation. As part of the church, as a parish, the thing that should characterise our relationships is that we love like Jesus has loved us, which is actually a love that goes all the way to the point of dying for one another. That's the kind of love that we're called to have. What that means is that we're not a club. Now, there's a gratuitous shot of my football team, but you get the point, right? The point is that if we were just a club, okay, we're a club of the like-minded, we all gather together, we have a lovely time together, okay, we're inward focused, it's an insular sort of thing. But the idea here is that the love that we have for God and for each other spills out, as it were, to all that we meet, to every person, especially those who are suffering, especially those who are doing it tough in one way or another. We're off, we want to know, we want our love to, as it were, not just stay here confined to us, but to reach out to those beyond us. So we're not a recruitment agency, but we're called to make disciples. We're not a club, but we are to be characterised by our love for one another. The third part of our mission comes from the prayer of Jesus. Remember when Jesus was told, where he was asked, teach us to pray by his disciples. And so he taught us the Lord's Prayer. Now every line in the Lord's Prayer really matters, but the one that I've focused on is when we're to pray, May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're saying there is that what's God's will? God's will is perfect love. Perfect love between all of creation, with and in and through God. What we are called to do, excuse me, what we're called to do is to actually say, well, we want that truth that is heaven to be here on earth. It's obvious that our world doesn't always look like that, that our world is not filled with the love of God. Our mission then as 
followers of Jesus is that we would actually spread that love into every strata of, God, of our society, every part of our world and culture, because this is the world that God loves. When you put those three things together, I think it's a bit like those Russian dolls. You know, you put a little doll inside a bigger doll, inside a bigger doll again. Those three things go together. You've got to hold them together. You pull them apart and we're less than who we should be as a parish. So we hold them together. When you put them all together, we're a church, okay? Or we're a parish, part of the church. I want to just pick up a couple of quotes from the Pope to kind of stress the point that I'm making. Pope Francis here says, in all of its activities, the parish encourages and trains its members to be evangelizers. When you hear the word evangelizer, don't think kind of, you know, a Jehovah's Witness coming on the door. Think someone who shares the love of God with everyone that they meet. It's a community of communities, a sanctuary where the thirsty come to drink in the midst of their journey and a centre of constant missionary outreach. Two things I want to highlight from this quote. The first one is, is that we're a big parish and for us to actually grow, we paradoxically also need to become smaller, uh, to be a community of communities, where the sense of connection and welcome and belonging is actually stronger because we're in closer relationship with one another. The second part is that beautiful line where we're told that we're to be a sanctuary where the thirsty can come and have, and, and have something to drink. Their thirst can be quenched. What's that thirst? Fundamentally, it's for God. It's for the love that God has for each and every person. The Pope goes on to say, I dream of a missionary option that is a missionary impulse capable of transforming everything so that the church's customs, ways of doing things, times and schedules, language and structures can be suitably channeled for the evangelization of today's world rather than for her self-preservation. Two things I want to draw out of that quote. The first one's this. The Pope's saying there that things have to change. Now this has been a great parish for a really long time. And if we're going to change things in the parish, it's not because things weren't great before, but because the world's changed. Because the culture in which we're called to be the church looks really different. And if we're going to actually connect with people beyond us, then we need to think about how we're doing that and to orient ourselves. He's saying that capable of transforming everything so that our focus is not upon ourselves, but upon others beyond us. The second thing I want to draw out of that quote is that it can't be about self-preservation anymore. The church has been too into self-preservation and that's had terribly disastrous consequences. It's meant a decline in numbers, sure, but it's also meant that we've tried to preserve our image at the sake of actually not being honest and truthful. We can't keep doing that. What we're called to here is to actually allow our energies, our efforts to be going outwards and you know what? What happens when we do that is that we're not kind of focused in upon ourselves. We're not bickering among ourselves because we know that there's something bigger beyond us that requires our best efforts and energies, that the world might come to know the love of God. If at this point you're thinking, well, we're just St. Declan's, we're just one parish in the midst of a sea of parishes, in a bigger sea of parishes, in a bigger sea of the church, you're absolutely right. If this feels really big and too much and all that sort of thing, that's true. And I think it's good that we're feeling that because we've got to be reminded that this is fundamentally something that God does. But in God's mysterious purpose and plan, he's allowed us to share in that. In, God's, in the mysterious ways of God, he says, you know what? Yes, it's something that I've got to do in and through you, but I will do it in and through you. And I've entrusted you with a share in that mission. I really hope that you've all subscribed to Declan's Well, which is our e-magazine. 
In the most recent issue of that magazine, my column, I talked about the gym not being the game. What does that mean? It means that, you know, if you're, if you're an athlete, you go to the gym, but you don't go to the gym as an end in itself. You go to the gym so you're fit enough to be able to play the game at the best of your ability. Okay? If you actually mistake the gym for the game, you might be fit and you might be buff, but you're not actually going to play the game properly because you've forgotten what, that that's actually what the gym's for. You apply this analogy to the church and what I'm saying is that the things that, that often we think about making it, what make a great parish, good liturgies, a really warm, welcoming, inviting kind of community, opportunities for us to grow in our faith, opportunities to serve one another in ministry, they're all wonderful things. But that's all going to the gym. That's so that we are spiritually healthy and fit, if you like, for the sake of the game, in inverted commas, which is the mission of sharing God's love with the world. The gym is not the game. We're supposed to be playing the game. We absolutely need to be fit. We want this church to be a place where people experience vibrant liturgy, where they experience really genuine community, where people do grow and mature in faith, and there's lots of opportunities for everyone to serve. But all of that is for the sake of sharing the love of God with the world. That's its purpose. Great gym, absolutely, but we want to play a great game. That's the point. Okay, this quote's too small, even for me. I've got to walk up close to tell you it. This is Teddy Roosevelt there on the corner, previous president of the United States. One of the better ones. Uh, let's get to the quote. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out, forgive the non-inclusive language, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Why have I put that quote up there? I want to hark back to the fact that people think I'm mad, right? One of the things about, about being kind of a little bit crazy to think that we could do something different is we're going to make some mistakes along the way. When you change stuff, things go wrong. And it's going to be an experiment because nobody knows quite what the future is going to look like. So we're going to try, try some things, some things are going to work, some things aren't. But you know what? It's really important that we give it a crack. So important that we actually give it a go. And at least if we fail, we fail while daring greatly, doing the things that matter, not the things that are inconsequential and not important. So what I'd like to invite you in that is to say, come and be mad with me. Um, come and, and join in that. There's been a conversation that's been happening in the parish for some time now. It began with our staff as we've been looking at our mission and vision as a parish. Recently, in the last couple of months, we've opened that up to the leaders of ministries in the parish and another key person from each ministry in the parish. Now, we want to invite the whole parish to be part of that conversation. So, you can see there the date. Please note the date's different from what it's sometimes been in the bulletin. The governor of New South Wales is coming to the school here because she used to go here. That's marked up a few dates in the parish calendar. This is the right date, Thursday, November 14, Fernlands Hall, 7.30pm. We're going to talk more about our vision and our mission together. So I'd like to, you to consider that you're personally invited to come along and to be part of that conversation. Because one thing is really, really clear is um, 
I can be mad by myself, in which case not much will happen, or you can be mad with me and we can actually really give it a go to see if that story of decline, at least in this place, might be turned around and that that might have significance and consequence, not just for our community, but maybe even big enough to say it might have an impact beyond that into other places as well.